if we believe that the world of governance is an organic world, and I believe that fundamentally. So to risk perhaps, you know, making making your company obsolete, <laughs> have you actually reached out to government to say people are asking for these kinds of things? Why don't you just open it up? Or is that something you plan on doing? Access to information is so broken as to be essentially useless. I speak a lot to public servants and sometimes they're a little afraid of also being an engaged citizen. Hilarious that if you're looking for uh, salmon law, uh, you got to go to two different departments depending if it's freshwater or seawater salmon. From from the point in which we decided to do this, to vendor selection, to having our first data set on our public website, was six weeks. If a career politician feels shame for what they're doing, our system is truly broken. Where do you see IT's role as in public service? This is this is an eight-hour podcast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about this for hours. Hi, and welcome to the Open Government Podcast. I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Each episode of the Open Government Podcast, we bring you an interview with someone working on open government and citizen engagement in their community. And today, Samir and I are doing a recap of Season 2. Our favorite moments, things we learned, things that we achieved and wanted to do for Season 2. And what our audience should expect for season three. We've also decided to do a little something different and uh, record the season finale with a live audience. So thank you all for coming. Appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, as, as the episode goes on, we'll provide some opportunities for you guys to share your thoughts as well. So I guess let's start off first with our favorite moments. And I'm going to put uh, Samir on the hotspot here. Fire away. Your favorite moment. What's the first thing that comes to mind with season two for you? Oh, God. I feel like it's a cop-out because every time you ask me that, it's like, oh, they're all so good. But but the reality is everything has been great. There there have been some some significant points which, I, you know, when I think back at this season, say, wow, that was really great. And I'm glad we got to do that. And just most recently uh, was our interview with Jennifer Hollett, who uh, will be running uh, in, a, in, the, in a writing here in Toronto. And the kind of passion and the, in, the exuberance she had for the idea of getting people involved in politics and getting in, people involved in the political system. And I like the line that she used. She said, we are all politics. Everyone that's in society, every citizen, every resident is actually part of this political system, whether they know it or not. And that really resonated with me because sometimes we find ourselves talking to the same people all the time without trying to expand our horizons. So that, that was really good for me. Anything that struck, struck you? Well, well, in particular with Jennifer, real quick, and what I liked, the very first question that I asked her was because she's – I called her a renaissance woman. Right? She's got a master's degree in public administration. She's a tech from MIT. She's a former VJ with much music. Right. But I, I specifically asked her, like, you don't represent a, a prototypical politician. You're one that's very savvy, especially in technology. Like, how do you see your role fitting in, a, in an environment that's completely different? And she's like, essentially, she said, like, I see it more as a holistic relationship, right? Mm-hmm. We all bring our own skill set. And once again, embracing that that spirit of collaboration, even though she does represent a political party. So it was really sort of interesting to hear Jennifer not necessarily um, diminishing sort of the establishment. She was saying, well, I'd like to add to it, right? So right. it was really sort of, uh, for me personally, uplifting. uplifting. Any other moments like All that right. for you? Well, in particular, and this is more, not so much a moment inside an episode, but it's, it's more of a moment about the podcast itself. And that's Jonathan Reichenthal. And, and for those of you who don't know or may not remember, 
The premise of the open government tour was to redo all of the interviews that took place on the open government tour in the summer of 2014. But Jonathan is someone that I got wind of on Twitter. He's like, like the, like the world's number one CIO on social media. Yeah. I was like, we need to have this guy on, right? He's also the CIO for the city of Palo Alto. We don't know him from Adam. Not at all. And, and all we had was essentially 20-odd episodes on iTunes and I quite literally went to his website after I, after I saw his tweets, and I, I responded to one of those like contact me forms, and I just sort of threw it out there, crossed my fingers. I'll probably never hear from him again. Sort of did the sales pitch, and I kid you not, Jonathan, within like an hour, <laughs> responded, and we're just emailing back and forth, and we had set up a, a, an interview time. And it was like, man, you know what? We're onto something. Like people are, are interested. We're at least we're creating some we're creating some good content. And just the interview in and of itself with Jonathan as to how like he was recruited right. from the private sector and how he brought in the lean startup and lean methodology uh, to just like this, the city of Palo Alto could be aligned. The government, I mean, of the Palo Alto yeah. aligned with the community. That was fantastic. I liked I liked how. The, the idea of having Jonathan on showed us kind of not just expanding the mandate, but really pushing it out to say, how can how can we make this more fruitful and get some voices that we hadn't heard from before? And that brings me to uh, Luca Pisterzi, who was a, an amazing interview because he was completely not what you typically think about open government. No. He's a scientist. He talked about science. He talked about doing science differently and being open about science, which is not something that we always talk about. Uh, when we talk about government, but a big part of government is funding science, is helping you know uh, researchers do their work, and it was really refreshing to see how they've incorporated open principles and open government into the way they do their work and their research, and then the way they share their their information over there at BrainCode. So I I was fascinated that it was a voice that we never would have heard. Uh, if we had s- simply stayed to kind of our bubble of open government. And it's become actually also one of our most listened to episodes. And it's the only one that was on science. Apparently we have a lot of scientists. <laughs> exactly, <in our> <laughs> right? So it was, uh, it was interesting to see. And, and, and you're right, Luca and BrainCode, they're doing some awesome stuff. And that brings me up actually to Jean-François Gauthier. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he was a Quebec City champion for the open government tour. But he's also uh, leading a group in Quebec on creating digital governance or creating a digital governance plan for the province of Quebec. And we're secluded here in, in Toronto, Ontario, and most of our guests are English and things along those lines. It was interesting to bring that Quebec perspective. You don't hear so much about the work they're doing in digital governance. Definitely. And I, I I mean, I loved it just hearing you guys talk in French before the interview. <laughs> I tried my hardest to keep up. Uh, but uh, it was it was fascinating because one of the things that I learned is that the, the Quebec works differently than other parts of the country. And then it reminded me that we're, you know, because of the provincial nature of the work that we do, uh, everyone works a little differently. So that was one of the things that I needed a reminder and I learned during the season. It was kind of, we all do things very differently and it's, it's nice to have that variety of perspectives so that we can learn from each other. Is there anything else that was kind of a big learning from you for you from this season? The, and the Andrew Fogg interview mm. with import.io, you mentioned, we're talking about his business plan. Right. Because he's created this tool that allows people to scrape and parse websites with, without creating code. Right. And he's giving this, this, this tool for free. And we asked him, and I think I think you asked him. It's like, how do you how do you remain sustainable? 
And his answer was, well, actually, you know, we have some great, you know, uh, investors that understand our vision and he shared his vision. Google has famously said that they're trying to organize the web. What Andrew and import.io is trying to do is make sure that every single website has an API to access data from. It's like, that's a big mandate. Like, that's something that, you know, I wish him all the best luck in the world <laughs> on this one, but this is something I didn't even know about him. Yeah, and he's, I, I like that Andrew had a passion to kind of make this accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it was really this kind of public service in him. And I, I really liked this season that we had a good mix of public servants. Mm -hmm. We had people in non-for-profits. We had researchers. But we also had politicians. Uh, and I, I remember talking to Don Arnold, which was a fascinating discussion because she reminded me that being a politician is a public service in itself. And sometimes we forget about that. And she had such pride in the work that she did because she really felt and she reminded us all that you know politics is actually in the service of public and they're there to speak on our behalf and it's easy to get jaded with that and she was not she wasn't cynical she had such pride in her work and it, it reminded me that we need to be better at kind of engaging with politics as well in this open government world not just the public servants or the not-for-profits that are that are at play right now i remember that interview very well and i remember that segment in particular because we were referring to actually the samara exit interviews oh that's right yeah. right we're talking about because she is a a municipal counselor in moncton and we've talked about it before is that they have a very different dynamic they're essentially being paid less right. than minimum wage <laughs> but we're talking about how in samara the exit the exit interviews have shown that not only are canadians somewhat disenfranchised with the whole political process but the politicians themselves, like they right. go into politics thinking they're going to have this big impact and they get disillusioned with the whole process. And Don was talking about that whole thing. And it's like, there's, just some, there's a problem here. I'd love to get some feedback from the audience. So here we have Lara Torvey, who works here at Mars Discovery District, and she wanted to share a few thoughts about the podcast as well. One thing that I was noticing is that you, the, the diversity of guests that you have really indicates how much open data and open government has sort of movement has 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 transitioned from the outset. Like at the beginning, you know, we were in it back in 2007 and investigating, exploring in early days. And just the, the range of folks that, that are on the show talking about you know, everyone from a politician to a CIO to these, you know, these institutions, it really shows that, that it's come a long way. It's a, ve so it's a very good. rich community. And, and mm -hmm. actually, I just finished writing a post about this not too long ago that because there's more people involved, it seems as though there's that... I call it the, the sort of the puberty of open government and open data <laughs> where we're sort of gangly with each other. We're a little really, awkward. Yeah. yeah, a little awkward. <laughs> and, and there's some turf wars that are still sort of hanging around perhaps a little bit. Like you're, you said that you, back in 2007 you were getting involved in this conversation. How are you seeing that dynamic changing between the practitioners and the fanboys like myself? That's a really good question because I'm – I been looking at it from different perspectives. So in 2007, I was in provincial government, then I moved to municipal government, um, and now I'm sort of outside of it. So I think that that's given me probably different views of it as well. So maybe, I don't know if I could really be fully objective, but I feel as though there's a lot <laughs> Be less, subjective. <laughs> there's just a lot less risk associated with it than there was at the outset, and people are sort of seeing that that the benefits more than the, the negative side. Definitely. And we're really glad that you've learned a lot. Um, and thanks for listening. That's, that's a great segue. So not only are we profiling a, a wide, ta rich tapestry of guests, right. 
But there are, for season two, some subject matter that we had not hit at all in season one. And one of which, in particular, that I'm glad we hit on because it's always forgotten, is regulations. Mm -hmm. And we had Rick Marrero talking about this element of, sure, there's legislation, but you can't forget about regulations because really they're the ones who dictate the behavior of legislation. And we didn't get enough chance to really investigate it, but it's something that fascinated me. Definitely. And I think, you know, in the the kind of the policy world, we're always kind of – you know, t- torn up in this kind of idea of like, well, once you make policy, it'll it'll happen. And the idea of kind of you need a whole bunch of s- systems in place to make sure it happens, and whether that's regulation or some kind of enforcement or whatever it is, that's something. Again, it's a it's a voice that we don't often hear in these in these discussions. And I was really glad that Rick was able to share that and uh, articulate the differences because sometimes it's really hard for people to understand the difference if they're not in that world. Absolutely. So, now, is there anything else in particular that you remember learning, like? Man, I wish I knew that maybe a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, the the obvious one, and I can come back to Luca, is is, is around kind of that, the role of open in science. But I, we've gone into that already. The the other thing I, I think was really important for me to learn and maybe even relearn was when Mary Antoinette, right at the start of the season, was talking to us about kind of how the system itself doesn't necessarily uh, incent this kind of behavior and that we've got this clay layer and the clay layer isn't created because people are malicious or because people are lazy, but the clay layer is created because that's how the structure is and it doesn't give incentives to move around that. And it was really good to hear that because a lot of times we say, oh, these people aren't doing anything. They don't want to. They don't have the motivation. They're not trying hard enough without realizing that there are systemic issues that we need to solve. And Mary Antoinette's episode really helped me understand what that system is and why that system needs changing if we want to actually do stuff. And it, it's, it's so true, like, we always look at government's got to change, government's got to change, but someone's got to get down there to the brass tacks and, and really look at those elements and look at the culture and look at those, like, the motivational factors for change. And it's, it's great to have someone like Mary Antoinette and the Institute of Governance, Definitely. which is the president of, mm-hmm. trying to sort of, you know, uh, create that, that motion. Definitely. Did right. you have any other aha moments? or? Well, they're not so much... Uh, well, yeah, there were. Yes, there are definitely aha <laughs> moments uh, in particular. There was the one about the FOI, the Freedom of Information. I believe, I don't think we had any journalists in season one. Right. In season two, we had two. Yeah. We had Tim Bousquet from Halifax, and we had Mary Agnes Welch from Winnipeg. And both of them very different kind of in the way they approach, yes. approach government and freedom of information. Absolutely. So, yeah. But they're independent journalists for the most part. Right. Winnipeg Free Press and The Examiner, they're not part of CTV or the CBC. Right. But the other element is that they're transplants from the U.S. Oh, yeah. They're, they were both from the U.S. They came up to Canada and they became journalists. And when they, were, when they both said that FOI in Canada is worse than it is in the U.S., I was – Flabbergasted because you always think the Patriot Act in the U.S. and all that right. kind of jazz. When they were talking about how they both had separately, not in the same episode, but separately, they were saying how much difficulty they have getting FOI requests in Canada compared to the U.S. It's actually easier in the U.S. I was like, no, no, that's not how things work. Canada is always better than the U.S. when right. it comes to this stuff. Well, and it articulated some of the delusions that we may have about how we how we work. Uh, and we had actually a few more guests from the U.S. than we usually do this mm-hmm. this season. And it reminded me that you know a lot of times 
uh, as Canadians working in kind of government transformation and policy and things like that, we think that we're, we're pushing ahead, we're, we're moving forward. But it reminded me that there's a lot of seminal work being done south that, uh, that you know, we need to learn from as well. And I, I loved how Jonathan Reichenthal talked about, you know, he was able to, to turn around the open data site in six weeks, I, I think it was. And I've never heard of anything moving that fast in Canada. And we always complain, like, you know, larger government down there, they'll never be able to move. But the fact that he was able to and then shared how, that was really great. And I would love to make sure that we're learning more from the people across the world, not just in the U.S., but across the world on how we can do things better here in Canada. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting because um, we another guest we had, I guess he's from the U.S., but he's also much more of a representation uh, internationally was Dan Swislow when we talked about open parliament. Um, you know, that's pretty much where I come from. That's how I got involved in this conversation is, is opening up parliament and creating a, that conversation between constituents and elected representatives. And um, I remember when we got Dan, once again, very much in the same premise as Jonathan, which is I just sent out an email. It's like, cross my fingers, hopefully he'll respond. It was the first time in, in our podcast in like 50-odd episodes that we talked about the parliamentary process right. and opening it up. And, 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 and listening to him talk was fascinating to me because there's so much that's been done that, no, that even I didn't know about. <laughs> and this is supposed to be my wheelhouse. Right. And we did research on him before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, and yeah. so I, I, I love that fact that we're going beyond sort of the open government tour framework. Is there any guest that, that surprised you that way this year? Oh, that surprised me. Uh, I, 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 think, I think they were all, again, kind of really different in the sense that I, 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 I was surprised by all of them in a certain sense. Michael Lentzner was a great one because, mm. you know, we've heard about Aja before and we've heard about all of these things he's doing in open government. But it was a great lens to say, oh, my God, yeah, the nonprofit world has a massive thing to play here. And the fact that, you know, I needed to hear that from him again to say – don't forget the nonprofit world in the larger discussion of government was 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 a massive you know kind of reminder and a surprise for me because it's something I again I keep forgetting uh, to 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 my own detriment I think so you, you talked about we had a lot of you know people that that were kind of outside of the open government tour and how we're stretching that boundary so our original plan with this podcast was kind of to replicate the open government tour, but also to give kind of this this surface level introduction to interesting people, ideas, and work that's being done. Did we achieve that? And do we achieve kind of our stretch goals for season two? I, well, I think so. I mean, I remember at the season finale last year, um, last season. Last season. <laughs> I, uh, I mentioned that for me personally, I wanted to put a little bit more preparation into the guests, uh, you know, creating scripts. Uh, going beyond our comfort zone, and and also at the same time, and I think this was actually your idea that we want to try live events like we are right now, and and going outside once again of our comfort zone. And I think we've definitely reached that um, in so many different ways. I can't wait to to get to the segment where we talk about our plans <laughs> for season three. But all, all those big plans. Oh, right? totally. <laughs> but the other element that I'm really glad about season two that we're able to do is bring the show to syndication, mm-hmm. uh, for the lack of a better term. So the city of Toronto, the city of Guelph, the emerging local government leaders network in the States, as well as uh, the Canadian government executive blog, are now hosting, have given real estate uh, for the Open Government Podcast 
um, on their site. And once again, it's it's one of those things that just adding layers and reaching out to new communities, I'm really glad that we're able to reach that. Not so much from the perspective of guests and content, but for the podcast in and of itself. Definitely. There- and I think, you know, now that you're saying we're reaching new communities, and I think that's one of the things that we had set out to achieve. And, you know, if I was grading myself on a uh, you know, little report card, did you did you do well? I mean, I'd say I did a, at least personally, maybe a good C plus to a B minus on this. Oh, dude. <laughs> you, are, you became on, on, the to- on the tour, on the podcast, a couple of times I called you the voice of reason. You've officially become the voice of reason for, for the open government voice around the world because I'm such a hothead. But, but the, 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 the reason I say that is because I, you know, I think I think one of the goals we want to do is provide an introduction to these topics and themes to people who may not have that opportunity. And while I think we've done a good job with the syndication and, and kudos to everyone that's helped with that, I think we could have done a better job, perhaps, of reaching out beyond our borders, you know, uh, and to start engaging with communities that wouldn't even know what open government is. And maybe we need to start thinking of better ways to do that. And so, you know, this it's something just in self-reflection. I'd love to do more of that uh, for the next season and to really start thinking about the, more than just, not just introducing people to work or other kinds of people, but really starting to get them to think about themes and think about uh, new, bigger ideas so they're able to engage kind of on a cerebral level to this as well. And this is a perfect segue into what we see happening, I believe, for season three. This is not, you know, etched in stone or anything. Or this is not gospel. But these these are some of the elements that we've talked about. And you had this continue with this theme thing that you had. Well, we, we we can argue about this later um, as we're planning the season. But one, <laughs> of the, one of the things that we thought is this this idea of if you found that people really want to start start learning more about a certain concept or a theme. And, and looking at the larger things that bind us all. So one of the things I was hoping for season three is that we have either like thematic weeks or thematic episodes. So rather than just being an interview, it's really talking to people that are engaging on a theme and maybe trying to get a variety, wide variety of perspectives on that theme. One of the examples I, I wanted to give is that the Moet Center recently came out with a report on how nonprofits should use open data. And I would love to hear not just from the Moet Center, but from someone in a nonprofit and then maybe someone that works in government in civil society relationships. So kind of seeing the various uh, perspectives that people might have on a broader theme that's uh, that's emerging right now. So I thought that might be a good way to approach season three, still giving kind of the surface level introduction, but on a thematic level rather than just on a people or worker level. Yeah, for for the most part, season one and season two have been very formulaic. Here's our guests, here's what they're doing, and and we're going to ask a a couple of probing questions. But a lot of what you're talking about stems from our um, Howard Tam episode about the city of Toronto's revitalization project for their website. And that our dynamic was considerably different. So Howard is uh, is an advocate in Toronto. He works quite a bit in, in, with his company called Think Fresh. But we were not necessarily talking about his work. We're talking about his perspective in the conversation on the theme. And what we got to learn is a lot of people seem to engage a lot more. And that was a problem. Not a problem so much, but because of the static nature of season one and season two, we're not necessarily getting that interaction. Exactly. And, and you know, the Howard Tam interview was, was a good one because I think people got excited about the theme. But what it did lack was kind of the variety of perspective. Yes, it was, we didn't have was, the city. It was you and Howard and not the city in that, in that discussion. And so what I would love to see is in season three is to give voice to new perspectives around an issue so that 
whether it's pro or con or you know a debate style or whether it's just reinforcing things i yeah maybe we should just have a crossfire for open government or something yeah, <laughs> old, old, old cnn watchers might recognize that but but you know really starting to think about how do you get different voices and then having people engage in a conversation that ne- may, might not necessarily have had in opportunity to engage in that conversation before absolutely and and i think you know that's a genius idea and a a natural evolution of what it is that we're trying to do and uh, more importantly make the the subject matter engaging by putting people inside a a perspective as opposed to just profiling people but me personally uh and you mentioned jennifer personal goals personal goals not my personal check mark write it down for a report card at the end of next season Um, you mentioned Jennifer Hollett mm-hmm. earlier and, and how impressed we were with her episode. Well, you were impressed, so was I. And uh, But she has a ton load of experience as a journalist, as a VJ with much music and so on. And for me, it really gave perspective as to how much I need to improve my own personal skills, uh, you know, interviewing guests and preparation and things along those lines. Because uh, – and I, I always love giving this example to people – 10, 15 years ago, I tried off for the Argos just for the simple reason that I wanted to know if I could be a football star. <laughs> Lord knows I could not be a football star. But <laughs> but in that tryout, right. I was able to see the gap in my skill set. Like These were wannabe CFLers right. that were blowing me out of the water. Um, Jennifer did that for me. So I, have, I, I saw my skill set compared to hers. I was like, frig. And she's just answering questions. And and she's making me look like a dummy. No, hardly. <laughs> it's like I, I need to improve that skill. I need to to watch like Charlie Rose and and Linehan. Uh, this is an old eighties and nineties. Linehan's great. Linehan, <laughs> all right, good. Yeah, right. And and learn from them. No, and I, I I mean I have to say from the from the moment we started doing this podcast to to now I I've seen your ease in front of a microphone and your ease with the guests increase considerably. Um, so kudos to that, and I, I like that. That's a, a kind of a personal personal mission mission you have, uh, and uh, and don't give up your football dreams. The way <laughs> <laughs> uh, my football dreams are done. Uh, we're not young anymore, are we? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I th- I think on a on a personal level, I I think the one thing I want I want to do for season three is really do do a better job of outreach, do a better job of of marketing. And marketing sometimes seems like a sleazy term, but really it's it's marketing for the sake of kind of again bringing new voices and new ears as well not because you know i I, people need to listen to me because my voice can get really annoying sometimes but mostly because these are topics and themes that i really think that people need to engage with so my goal for season three is to do a better job of kind of trying to increase exposure and outreach around the around the podcast so we can uh we can make sure it gets new new people in new communities so and uh that's that's season three so we've got a good teaser for for people to wait uh, actually, maybe this is an opportunity to maybe ask the, the folks here, based on what you've heard about what we did with season two, some of the guests we've profiled, and, and how we've teased season three a little bit, um, is there anything that you guys would like to see, either format-wise or anything along those lines, that would make the podcast better? And we have here Tom Somerville. With uh, the province of Ontario. I don't know if I should be saying that or not, but we can always cut it out. I'm not here in my official capacity. Uh, okay, okay. All you right. know what? Now that it's out the, there, the we're good. The views I express are my own. Yeah. <laughs> all 
All right, here's so, where the cut is. <laughs> so, Tom, tell us a little bit about what you think, if you were creating the podcast for season three, what you would like to see. I guess, um, I, I mean, it sort of came to mind when you mentioned the kind of outreach and marketing and so forth. I guess what I was thinking of was something along the lines of uh, a deep dive into the big success stories of open data. Mm. So if you look at uh, GPS data, weather data, uh, MTO's highway cams, these things that people I don't think even think of as open data, where it's government information in various formats that informs our day-to-day lives and uh, is, a, is, again, big success stories. And you can find people who can kind of speak to both the history there or, uh, or look at where some of these things are going. I think that could be really engaging and, uh, and be an interesting topic for the podcast. I think it's a reminder to people that, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a progression here and that there are, there are immense benefits to uh, everybody's lives if you can make some of these things happen. Definitely, and may, I think we need to do a better job in, in season three and future seasons to start showcasing not just the primacy of things. A lot of times what we do are new stuff or things that are just happening right now and to look back at what's been done and what's been successful and, and how we can learn from that. So thanks, Tom. Thank Absolutely. You. Is there anybody else I'd like to sort of throw in the two cents? Uh, come on up. And Bart, you're going to need to say your last name because I think I would <laughs> pronounce it incorrectly even if I tried. Yeah, so my name is Bart Gajdorovic, and because of that, I usually go by Bart G. <laughs> there you go. That's the easy way of doing it. So, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm a PhD student at the Industrial Engineering Department at the University of Toronto, and what I do is work on modeling social services. And I use open data to uh, verify the models that I create. So some of the things that I'm interested in, and you sort of brought this up in terms of uh, outreach. Um, so I'm interested in how people actually collaborate on... Uh, on how they use their data. So how do you actually measure your own success? You know, whether your open data portal is actually successful. You know, do you actually check with your users, with the community at large, to see if, um, if they're using it, if it's useful, um, and what kinds of things they're building, uh, but also see what kind of collaboration goes on between different cities, between different bodies of government, or different levels of government, right, to see um, what the scorecards are how they actually compare themselves with, with other cities. And maybe have a discussion between two, two organizations to say, you know, this is the way I do it, this is the way you do it. You know, how can we collaborate to actually make it better for, for the both of us? Uh, you know what's funny? I, uh, Samir, I'd like to ask you that question. In some jurisdictions, particularly at the municipal level, I'm also almost seeing a note of open government and open data pride. Like the city of Guelph has put a lot of work and time and developing their open gov and open data initiatives, but I almost see it almost as a competition thing. You know, you hear about Edmonton and Toronto and, and Vancouver, and I'm, I'm so almost seeing that sort of jurisdictional competition about who can have the best open gov and open data initiative. Well, it, I think the competition is good. It's friendly competition, right? Yeah. It's, it's, if we can all force ourselves to do better, that's great. But I like I like Bart's idea of kind of maybe we can start brokering some of these conversations you know, on the radio or podcast, whatever <laughs> it is, is to say, you know, maybe if there is this competition, how can you help pull each other up together? Yeah. And uh, I know it's happening without us. So, I, you know, but it would be really great to expose the fact that that's happening without us as well so that other people that want to do it have an avenue um, to reach out and, and work with other people. So thanks. That's a great suggestion. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And just to go back on the, the pride um, uh, bit. Right now, I point to the New York portal, data portal, to, to show them, you know what's a really good way to, to do it. And what I w- would like to be able to do is say, here's the Toronto portal, and look look how well uh, it works and how well you can actually uh, get some real knowledge out of the information there. Right. 
It, that's the one thing that I always find fascinating about open gov and open data is that one of the big issues is we always reflect on the, the relationship between citizens or their government. But to me, there's nothing more gratifying than seeing the relationship between government and government. <laughs> exactly. Right? Especially across jurisdictional, jurisdictional borders. And I'm talking about province to city, city with the feds and, and things of that nature. And if we are able to broker that relationship in any way, shape or form, then something we should definitely explore. Frickin' A. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I always do at one of these episodes is give you a – type in a little uh, – time to wrap. <laughs> time to wrap, <laughs> yes. Like, you should see our, our, our <laughs> Skype IMs when we're doing these conversations. So, yeah, I mean it was – I think this is a, a great season finale. Yeah. I love doing it with the audience like this. Yeah, let's see how we can do more of that in season three. And if any yeah. of you have any ideas of where we can record, how we can, and how we can get more people involved, let us know. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone that's listening today and has always listened or is new to new to the podcast. Thanks for supporting us. Thanks for supporting Open Government and Open Data. And uh, we'll be back really, really soon. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, our hashtag, OGTPod. Uh, you can reach uh, Richard at Richard Pietro. That's my Twitter handle. And I'm at Vasta on Twitter. And uh, we'll be back soon with our next interview, or maybe not interview, <laughs> with someone in the open government community. Thanks for listening. Bye.